but I want you to turn to, uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Let's go there. I've, I've got a little bit of a review, but I don't think we'll turn there just uh, for the sake of time. Uh, I've, I've, cho I've chosen to call this something different, even though it's a, a continuation of the series, but uh, going through the storm is, is, I guess, the title that I'll put on this message. But last week I was talking about how to never draw back or, or to not give in or fall back, and that was part of what uh, the Lord had me minister to you over the last couple of weeks. And, and if you'll remember... I spoke about uh, things that might cause us to weaken in faith or things that, that might cause us to lose some of the, the pursuit of God and the fire of God and the, and, the, and the study and things, giving up some of those things. You know, what I always see during a, a, a massive challenge in people's lives is a lot of times they'll turn to God and then when everything gets easy, and that's what I taught on last week, it, when it's smooth sailing, on easy street, do we relax and quit pursuing God. I can be honest with you during times of my life when uh, there's been times where I've done that, where uh, Sue and I'd be pressing hard, uh, you know, praying, seeking God, doing everything because things are tough and then things get all good and smooth. And, and then what do we do? We start to slack off a little bit. Uh, it's kind of like, kind of like if you go on a diet and you lose some weight and you get, or you get in shape and then all of a sudden you decide to slack up a little bit, you know, how fast you can back up. Uh, and that's the way our faith can be sometimes. And we got to make sure not do that. But uh, we had we had uh, a time of teaching there, and one of the things that I used illustrations was the children of Israel in Deuteronomy when Moses is telling uh, Joshua and the and the new generation that's about to go into Promised Land. He says, "When you get to where you're going, when you receive all those good things, those houses you didn't build." Vineyards you didn't plant, wells you didn't dig, you know, fortified cities. When you're blessed with all this blessing that God's going to provide for you, He said, then don't forget. Remember that? He said, don't forget the Lord your God. Don't forget who provided it. And, and, and then I, I talked about how do we not forget? We remember. You say, well, that's, that's obvious. Yes, Captain Obvious. It's, it's just obvious, you know. But we need, to, we need to remember. How do we remember? Man, we get, keep the Word of God before us. You know, one of the things that makes people great, and, and you, in whatever area, whatever thing you're doing that you become great in, is you're willing to do it regardless of how you feel. You know, I didn't talk a lot about this last week, but, you know, that's something that we got to remember. You know, you think about it. If you're those that are really good at basketball, they play basketball all the time, continually. Do they always? Yeah, you know, they'll all say, "Man, I love this game." You know, I love making a living to this game. There's times it gets mundane. When I was roping competitively, I roped the dummy all the time. Didn't seemingly need to, but I continually did it because I, I trained myself to do what I didn't want to do. When, it, when, when I was uh, working with the kids, whatever we were doing, they had to make a choice to do it. Do it until you don't want to and then do a little bit more. Have a little bit of that and then some attitude and mindset in you. And so we gotta, we got to be willing to do some of that. And where God is concerned, it's not a matter of earning our salvation. I'm not talking about that. But do I want to maintain that close walk with Him? And do I want to maintain that ability to hear God's voice, to, to have His guidance, have His direction on an everyday basis? Basically, what He's telling them back there in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was, and chapter 8, 
He said, there's going to come a time when it's going to get so easy and be so good that you're going to forget, be tempted to forget that it was God who gave you, he said, the power to get wealth. It was God who drove out your enemies. And he said, what you're going to start doing is you're going to tend to start saying, man, aren't I good? Well, that's my paraphrase. That's, 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 my, that's my translation of it. But that's what he did, and that's what, that he was, that's what he was warning them about and how many of us sometimes get to a point where we say, man, I'm pretty good. Or people start complimenting you and pride slips in and say, yeah, I am a good parent. <sighs> yeah, I am a... Well, that'll humble you real quick. You have very many kids, you say, yeah, I'm, oh, what a great parent I am. And then they, one of them do, does it, and, and it only takes one to sometimes do something that, you know, just you're going, oh, Lordy, maybe I wasn't as good as I thought. Uh, raising kids is a challenge. Or maybe you're, you're in your job, in your career. Man, I tell you what, that's why whenever we uh, entrust our lives to God, we're looking at Him to work through all those things, all those areas. So I mentioned that smooth sailing was something that would cause us to draw back. But the other thing that we didn't really get into, but we started to get into, was a sinking ship. What about when the storm was raging? What about when our sink, ship is sinking? And the picture I got was, it's like uh, people saying, well, pray. Say, well, how do, I don't have time to pray. I'm, I'm too busy bailing. I'm too busy trying to keep the boat afloat. I'm, too, I'm busy, too busy trying to just survive here. I can't pray. Well, that's the time we need to pray more than any other. That's the time we need to study the Word any, even more. That's when we need to put in that extra time. And you know what? When we've practiced that during the smooth sailing times, the easy times, then it gets real easy to do it, 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 because it's what? It's second nature. Why do we practice so hard doing something, anything, whatever it be, so that in the midst of the storm or the, or the, or the, it, 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 it becomes a natural reaction? Why do you hit in that batting cage over and over and over and over so that you don't think, you just react? You know, why do you, why do you pre-work? See, it's the same way with the, with the Word, same way with our prayer life. If we develop that habit of doing it every day and it becomes a second nature to us, then even in the midst when, when our mind, everything is bombarding us, we can go to that quiet place and we can calm everything else and we can hang or hold fast to the Word. In Mark chapter 6, I want us to look at this illustration, and we're not using the illustration or the, or the account over in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 14 that I usually go to because I want to read this a little bit different. Uh, I want to, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 6, <clears throat> because, because of something that was said, I thought it would be interesting here. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 45, immediately Jesus and His disciples getting, uh, get into the boat, made His disciples get into the boat, and go ahead of Him to Bethesda. While He dismissed the crowd after leaving them, He went up onto the mountain and prayed. Now, it doesn't say that He said, go to the other side. But I mean, everything they did, every day they woke up, every time they, they were just following Jesus, right? So Jesus, they, they didn't get up and just... You know, there's times Jesus might have started walking. Well, if He left, they left, right? So if, if He said something, they left. So there, there would be definitely a time where you, you, Jesus didn't have to say anything. But in order to send them away from Him, He would have had to have said, Okay, boys, get in the boat, go to the other side. And probably they were like, oh, What are you doing? Well, where, where are you going? 
Why are we going without you? There might have been questions, but it doesn't say so. But I, I, I believe that by this time, they pretty much just knew to trust Jesus. Whatever He said, just do it. But yet they're still in that process of learning. And so here in, uh, He tells them or He sends them to the other side. Later that night, the boat in the middle of the lake was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So you paint a picture right there. They're straining against the oars. See, the sails weren't working at that point. I mean, they had to, they had to just row. They had to just dig in. They were working hard to do what? Get through the storm. See, that's, some, that's the way some of our lives are. And man, some who may be watching, some of you, I mean, man, there are things about the time that we're living in, this period of time that we're living in, that are difficult, that are hard, just the uncertainty of things. Even though we've gotten somewhat accustomed to it, there's still things that are uncertain out ahead of us. You know, the one thing that we have is certain is the Word of God. See, if they, when they understood and if they held fast to the word that Jesus told them, Jesus wasn't sending them to sink. He was sending them to the other side. So there should have been a, a confidence at least in that. But what do they have to do? They have to continue to row. They have to continue to work. They have to continue to hold fast. See, they were, uh, well, continuing on in verse 49. It says, but when they saw well, let's see. Uh, they were straining because of the words. Verse, verse 46. Because the wind was against them shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they walked, or when they saw him on the lake, they, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Now, the reason I read it out of this account, because in Matthew, Matthew focused on Peter's walking on the water. I mean, he said all this too, but he also brought in a whole other part of the picture. What's interesting here is from Mark's perspective, the most important, there were other things that were important and other things that he wanted to relate and he thought were valuable. He said, he said that Jesus was going to pass by them. That's an interesting phrase. You mean, you mean Jesus is just going to go on and just go on by and just walk by him? Didn't he, couldn't he see him struggling? Well, it said he saw him out there on the lake, struggling, rowing hard, working hard, struggling. But yet Jesus was going to pass by him. Why? Because Jesus had already given the word, go to the other side. He'd already given them, and there wasn't anything going to change that. The storm wasn't going to change the fact that they were getting to the other side. It's kind of like uh, somebody gets a bad report from the doctor. Or they're facing grave difficulties. One thing we know, we get into the other side. The other side is going to be good. Even if we die, even if we lose life, we can't lose because the life on this earth just transitions us into eternity, and that's even better. And so uh, obviously there's challenges during that. But, but we want, I want you to not be so consumed with being consumed by the waves that we don't even recognize Jesus when He shows up. In an, in an interesting, they said they thought He was a ghost. They're like, that kind of looked like Jesus, but that can't be Jesus. Their whole mind is, is shaken. They're, they're looking at that situation. They're thinking, no way. They're, they're totally wrapped up, consumed, and limited by what they see, feel, taste, touch. All their senses are saying, we are in trouble, and all we can do is work. And then there's this 
dude walking, there's something walking out there. It looks like Jesus, but it's got to be a ghost because he can't be there because we left him on land. And they're going through all these processes in their mind. See, what do and how do we limit God sometimes by what our senses are telling us and what we're hearing versus what God's Word said? See, Jesus was just going to pass on by him, not because he didn't love him. He's going to pass on by him because he had still, it was still settled what he had established. See, that's the value of during the, during the uh, time of ease that we settle on the Word. Here, here's the wonderful thing. They got the Word before the storm. If we could be like them, if we could be like that, if we could get a Word from God in that still time, peaceful time, calm time, quiet time. You know, here's what I've learned is God's not surprised by our problems. He's not surprised by our challenge. Are we? Oftentimes. But what if we learn to spend time with Him, focus on Him, be trained to follow the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, learn to settle this, this Scripture as the Word, as the only Word, as the Word I'm following, I'm hanging on to, and I'm staying with regardless of the storm. When I do that, then in the midst of the storm, I don't have to change either. Jesus was just going on to where they were going. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> all of a sudden, he shows up. They, they're, they're crying out because they were terrified. You know, I thought about that. It says, they saw him and were terrified. I think I'd had, they were terrified. They saw him. And then they were terrified about something else, okay? <laughs> that's, that's just my, my own opinion of how that looks. But they were terrified, even though they'd been through. Now, here, here's the something else. They lived on this lake. Most of these guys, or part of these guys were fishermen. They understood their storms blow up. They understand how to get through it. But yet they're still terrified. Now some of them, probably land lovers, people that weren't living on the city, they weren't all fishermen, you know. But some of, the, some of those guys are probably a little more consumed by what was going on than, than the other ones. And so they're, they are nervous. They are shaken. They are concerned. And, yeah, if we could tip that down just a little bit. I kind of like the air. It's kind of good, but that's pulling my pages. I feel like I'm outside when I'm not really outside, right? Uh, but they want to, they want to, uh, they want to, we need to focus, even in the midst of that terror. See, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, being conditioned for a last second shot. I, I loved it. My son, whenever he was at home when he was little, uh, from the time he was just barely, you know, just above past walking, he wanted a ball in his hand. And, he, and we'd have a basketball goal in the house. I mean, we had one that looked just like a real goal, but it was only about this tall. And, man, he, we had a little rubber ball for that thing, and he would wear that thing out. He'd be watching a basketball game, and he'd be dribbling, he'd be th shooting, and he'd be, I'd be throwing him alley-oops. From the time he's a little bitty kid, you know, I mean, we, we, he, he wore that and he would set the timer on the, on the uh, stove and, and it would set down so it could count down and he'd get, be out there and he'd be setting up for the last shot, you know, and he'd fall away and shoot the shot and, you know, he'd either make it or he didn't, you know, he'd walk off and then, he, you know, and then it was like if he missed a shot, it was, oh, I got fouled, you know, he'd go to <laughs> shoot a free throw, still going to win the game. But he was conditioned for that. And so in the midst of a game, in a situation, when he got older, when he was playing the game, he wasn't afraid to take that shot. And, and you know, that's what we got to do with, with our walk and the things that we do. So how do we get through when our ship's sinking is we precondition ourselves. One of the things is we precondition ourselves to stand on the Word of God. Precondition ourselves to have a response. 
See, our response shouldn't be any different. It, it should be the same all the time. Now, one of the things that we want to get to in this, in this passage, verse, uh, they cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then, they then he climbed into the boat with them, the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. <laughs> they were completely amazed. They were just in awe, as, as most of us would be. But you know, they'd been, they'd been staying with Jesus. This is fairly early, I don't know, timeline-wise. Everything's not always in exact chronological order, but you know, they'd already seen Jesus do some amazing things. He just fed 5,000 with uh, you know, five loaves and two fish. He had, he had healed people. He had restored people. I mean, they, they were seeing things, and yet they were greatly amazed. They were, they were incredibly amazed at what they saw. It says in verse, uh, they were completely amazed, verse 52, for they had, now here's a key, for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. That's why I wanted to get to this passage. Plus, then I don't get distracted with Peter <laughs> walking on the water, part two, also. But they, they didn't understand, but it reveals why. Their hearts were still hard. They hadn't yet been able to receive. See, the question we got to ask ourselves is, is our heart hard to some of the things that God could do? One of the reasons that I teach about expecting God to do something great, one of the things that I challenge you to pray and to believe and study and, 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 and miracles and, and, and thinking about that line of thought is so that your heart is softened so that God can do things that are above and beyond what even you could ask, think, or imagine like Ephesians 3.20 says. I've watched God just do amazing things throughout our life, and, and it's because we have tried to condition our heart to receive, to expect to see God do great and mighty things. And you know, He's never, never let us down, never, never uh, discouraged. We've never been discouraged because something didn't happen the way we wanted it at the time. We just look for the next, the next big thing God's going to do and God's going to provide. So... Their hearts were hardened. Now, uh, this hard heart may not have been by choice, but rather by default. Now, let me, let me, uh, I, I wrote that statement down because I wanted to remember to have my attention in, in a place, in a thought that sometimes, sometimes things are by choice. We'll look at choices. I talk a lot about choices. We make a decision. I will. Praise God. I will thank. I mean, that, that's a setting of my heart and my... But there's times things were conditioned by our environment. You know, I, I, I was reading something. I'm, I'm big on, uh, you know, motivational speakers and, and you know, self-motivation and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's needed. I, I think it's valuable. But I heard something read the other day said uh, that all that's a waste. said, you are going to be who you are because that's the way you're wired. You can't make somebody be something they're not. Now, an element of that I could buy. I think we're all wired to be different. You, you don't need to be an extrovert if you're an introvert. Yeah, you need to come out of your shell a little bit, Sue. I've been telling her that for a long time, and she is, and she has. But she was always perfectly content to sit back. But then I watched my son, who's 
we always thought was a lot like her in, in personality, a lot, lot less extroverted, a lot more introverted and, and all that stuff. But as he's gotten to be now almost now a senior, about to begin his senior year in college, now starting in ministry, now gotten out in front of people and now begin to speak. He said, man, I look for opportunities to step out. Well, see, I wonder how much of it is that he was kind of preconditioned to be that quiet kid to always stand back. Now, he's not my personality. Uh, to He's somewhere in between. But, you know, it's interesting how as he's conditioned himself to think differently, he said, I realized God's call on my life requires that I do things that I'm not comfortable with. See, we, ha we can change, we can adapt if we choose to allow the greater one on the inside change some things. Cody drug his feet long time, said, I'm not getting, I don't want to get, I'm, not, I'm a behind the scenes guy. I don't want to get in front of anybody. I'm behind the scenes. And you know, it was, it was funny. I, uh, his brother, uh, Matt, went to pastor the church up at Nash, and I didn't have, I, I wanted, at that time, we didn't have that many men in the church to, to do uh, the things like we do now. And I just told him, I said, well, you're going to have to step up and do that. He, oh, no. But then all of a sudden, God changed his heart. And I, I said, you, you're going you're gonna to have to step up. And, or I didn't use that word, but mom t my mom texted me, and she said, uh, she said, oh, God will provide. And she said, I think, I think God's moving on Cody. He's going to, and she, her text was, I'm a, he's going to cause him to step up. Well, about two hours later, Cody texts me and says, okay, I've been praying. God, you know, got on me. I'm, I'm ready to step up. God will provide or something like that. And then I sent him that text that, that, that in our conversation, we'd had the same thought. See, sometimes I think that there is a, there's a way that we're wired but I think also what the motivation and what the conditioning does is it brings out or unmasks or un, uh, opens up the areas of our life that our, our environment and the way we were raised and things that were told us all our lives or earlier experiences had held down and caused us to think differently of ourselves. So I think there's a, a, an importance that we understand their, their hard heart wasn't necessarily because of choice, a choice. It was only because they'd not yet had it revealed to them who Jesus was. They didn't really understand yet. They hadn't, been, they hadn't gained the understanding of the revelation. Now, uh, I, can, I can remember the change or the difference from Matthew uh, chapter 16. Let's look at that real quick. Because all of a sudden, things begin to change. I wonder how many people are living a life that because of things they were told and things they bought, the things they decided to believe about themselves. You know, some people, uh, I, I talked about it last week a little bit. Uh, well, we'll get to it here in a little bit. I'm not going to jump ahead to that yet, quite yet. Matthew chapter 16, we won't spend, again, these are familiar to you if you've listened to me teach very much because I, I love these passages, but here was, the, here was the challenge to them. And this is what, how this began to change. Jesus constantly was, was telling them little by little who He was and what He was going to do. In Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse uh, 13, when they came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, who, who, who do they say, what do they say about Me? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what do you say? 
But what about you, he asks. What do you say? Who do you say I am? See, he, he was giving them opportunity to, to begin that trans, uh, transition and that, of that revelation. And Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. See, there was a, a revelation that happened. Something clicked on the inside of him. This has, was not yet common knowledge to them. Although they might have started discussing it, we don't know. Jesus had been begun to prepare them to teach them to speak it, but they hadn't really, it hadn't really struck them yet. But here Peter steps up, Blessed are you, and Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, my, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there's a whole lot of teaching that can go on there. But I want you to see something, that, that they went from not recognizing Jesus to at some point, and it, and, it, and it says He began to teach them differently after that time, that they began to understand who Jesus was. Their hearts began to change. Their hearts began to be softened. And when they heard the Word then, it was all different. Everything began to change. And so uh, Jesus built His church on, on Him being the rock, obviously. So the first thing we got to do if, we, if we're going to, to begin to... Uh, walk in, in a, a place of, uh, or how do we get our ship through the storm, is first of all, not have a hardened heart. We've got to be willing to say, God, here's my heart. Shape change. I teach a lot on that, talk about that a lot. Are we willing to say, God, what in, what in me is not right? What in me needs to change? How do I need to yield to you? So we begin to do that. And the second thing is to fix your eyes on God. I want you to look at Psalms chapter 25. I love this passage. Uh, I taught this in one of my morning prayer times, uh, Bible study times, that I'm working on changing up to a recorded thing instead of being live maybe at, at some point. But we've been live over the last now eight weeks. But here's a, a uh, something that during the midst of that storm, or a storm that we're in, this is a great hymn to build your life off of, build your personal prayer time off of. Verse 1 says, In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. So Psalms 25, verse 1. Did I send you the wrong place? Psalms 25, verse 1. In you, Lord, my God... I put my trust. You know, in our prayer time, using, if you use the Lord's Prayer, you can hallow the name of God. You can spend some time worshiping, praising God, but then you transition to thy kingdom come, thy will be done, just as a second part of that prayer time. So valuable. This is a great way to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because what did we do right here at the very first verse? We said, Lord, in you I put my trust. Now see, that is a choice. When, when we're uh, maybe conditioned to be uh, one way, the world says you can't, 
you're too young, you're too old, you're male, you're female, you're, you're uneducated, you're, you're too educated. I mean, whatever, whatever the, the obstacle that could be out there, we got to back up and we got to look at our life and look at our situation and look at all that's before us. And if we can, if we can begin right there, Lord, in you, I put my trust. Skills are great. Education's great. Uh, you know, help from other people's great. Uh, you know, having a, uh, great name is, I mean, there's all these things that can help, help you, but trust in God walks you through every one of those. There's a, there's a lot of times things in life change in a way that you, you didn't plan, but you can always fall back on, Lord, in you, I put my trust. That's a choice. And if he, said, he goes on verse 2, I trust in you, and I do, do not let me be ashamed, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without a cause. Now this verse 4, I really love this. He says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. See, these, these were, this was a prayer, personal prayer for me. And, and, it, and it, it, what, a, what a valuable way to pray. Show me your ways, Lord. Every day I need His ways to be shown. I need Him to show me how to do, not only walk with Him, but in every area of my life. He goes on, He says, teach me your paths. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. See, sets a tone for a, a, a softened heart. See, if we're teachable, there's a whole lot of difference between somebody who's teachable and not. Isn't that right? I mean, you, you've, you've all probably worked around or worked with or tried to help somebody who was not teachable. If they don't want to listen, they can't be taught. So they're limited to only what they can understand. Where God is concerned, man, I need, I need His teaching. And I know we're, you're, you're people who desire those things, but, but man, you know, how many times do we start limiting us? But see, we say, okay, God teach me. You know, I just had a thought. I've always valued learning from other people. I've always loved to watch others do things. I've loved to to read stuff or, or study things. And, and education, I'd, I'd, I'd go back to school if I had time. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that going back to school. I, I love school when I was, could pick the classes, okay? <laughs> I'll clarify, clarify a little bit. Uh, I didn't love all aspects of it, but I love gaining knowledge. I, I love to gain understanding. But you know what? There were certain things that were very, very difficult for me. There, there was math, some, some, type, some type of thing. You know, understanding English and ag adjectives and pronouns and all that stuff, I, I don't, I didn't, I, I mean, some of you can tell, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't try, I don't try, I try not to, I mean, I try to sound intelligent. I think, I, I think I'm fairly intelligent, even though I'm country. But, you know, there were certain things that were difficult to me. But I remember when I went back to college at, 25 or 6, for the, or went to college for the first time out of high school. You know, I went to OSU, and they said, you don't qualify. I said, okay, why? And they said, well, you were number two in your class, number two from the bottom. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> you know, your, your, your GPA, and that was only because I blew high school my senior year off. I was working, I got out, I worked a feedlot, I, I roped, I, I was, I mean... I just didn't care about school. I just, they passed me basically. 
Okay, so not proud of that. Kids, don't do that. But when I went back to school, I went back to school with a purpose. But they said I couldn't do it. So it's, it's, it, I began, I, I was following the Lord, trusting the Lord, praying. And so I began to say, okay, God, reveal to me how to learn. Reveal to me what, I, ha what I, I need. You help me, Lord. You teach me, Lord. You guide me. And these are some of the scriptures. Father, teach me in your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. And you know, that's not just about the Bible. He taught me literally how to... I mean, there's a lot of how-to books out there, but you got to figure out how they apply to you. He taught me ways of doing things that were difficult or things I didn't understand. And so he can teach us in other things. Taught me how to be a father, how to, how to, you know, how to be married, how to all these other things. I've talked about that a lot. I don't want to get on that too much. But I want you to understand that if we can trust him, and I felt like that's for somebody, it's important that we understand, do you need to know something, even through education or business, you know, God, how do I, how do I deal with people better? How, how do I read and retain? How, how do I, you know, whatever it be, He can teach us in those things as well. So He's not just interested in us in, in understanding His laws or His direction. or His. He wants us to succeed in other things in life. And He'll direct our paths. So that's another part of it. A little sideline there, but I believe that's beneficial. I want you to, I want you to look at, uh, continue on, verse 9. He says, He guides the humble in what is right, and He teaches them His way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of His covenant. You say, oh man, I don't want to have to you know, follow a bunch of rules and regulations. Listen, if, if we love God, we understand He's not telling us anything that's, trying, that's taking away. He's teaching us things that are going to cause us to, be, to walk in the blessing walk in the good. And, uh, and the demands of His covenant are, are really all wrapped up in one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's two things, but uh, two separate things, but walk in love. If I have a love for God, I'm not worried, and know how much He loves me, I'm not worried about Him taking away. I'm thinking about how much He can do to provide, to bless. If He takes anything away, it's only things that are going to harm it's only things that are going to hinder. It's only things that are going to hold us back. But His path is good. So we walk in that with a trust in that. Verse 11 says, For the sake of, for the sake of your name, Lord, forgive me, for, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Now we've got to get to 12 through 15, and, and these verses are really good. He says, Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them, those that fear the Lord, in the way they should choose. Again, guiding and directing us. How do we want to get through the storm? I need God's direction. How do we weather market shifts, job loss, health uh, challenges, following the way that he, we get, let Him guide us in the way that we should choose? In verse 13, they will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the earth. There's a promise. Verse 14, the Lord confides or communicate secret things. I believe that New King James says it more like that. But he says, The Lord confides in those who fear Him. In other words, He's speaking secret things. 
allowing us to know things that are needed that might not be available to just anybody. Hidden for us, not from us. Like the New, uh, the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit teaching us. He confides in those who fear Him, and He makes His covenant known to them. Now, what's the value there? Man, I tell you what, when we know His covenant, we understand what is His that He's made available to us. We, we understand His promise. See, a covenant God, there's a value in being in a covenant with somebody who has no limitations. That means what is His is ours. We just got to figure out how to, how to walk in it how to receive it, how to, how to have it provided. Verse 15, and we'll, we'll wrap this part up. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for He will release my feet from the snare. Praise God. Now, I want to, I want to close. We're going to head towards a close, but I want to, I want to share with you from uh, Psalms 141, verse 3. Because if we're going to get through the storm... Something that I haven't talked about a lot is uh, guarding our mouth. I ought to have everybody say, watch your mouth. See, because one of the greatest tools that we can use for our benefit is our mouth. One of the greatest weapons that, <laughs> that messes things up can be our mouth, right? I told a story uh, like Cowboy Church the other night how Sue used to kick me under the table sometimes when I was talking too much, saying, too, saying things more, more than I needed to say when we were young. Verse 3, notice what he says, Set a guard over your mouth, or over my mouth, Lord. He's praying. Psalms 140, verse 3. Set a guard over your mouth, my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not, do, do not let my heart be drawn away with evil so that I take part in wicked deeds. Now, uh, I, I love that passage because it just challenges us. And I, I said this phrase last week, loose lips sink ships. That comes from World War II. And uh, loose lips sink ships. What are some words, and we're, we're, we'll close with these, but what are some words that sink our ships? In relationships, words of blame or accusation. How, how many times do we start blaming others, using our words in a way to tear down, to cause, to, to, to accuse and to, and to make excuses for ourselves. What are we doing a lot of times when we're, when we're trying to place blame? Uh, we're deflecting responsibility on ourselves or trying to protect ourselves. But what do we do? We automatically put others on guard and we, we cause others to bring up their dukes. It's like, okay, you're going to blame me. Well, wait a minute, I can tell you about your stuff. You, you, ever, you ever have fights about stuff? And not, not, not that any of you married folks would fight, but uh, I remember when we, when we would fight sometimes, and, you know, everybody says this, you fight, about things that you, you, you fight about things that aren't even the real problem sometimes. Why? One of the reasons is our words head to blame. I remember uh, one time or two, I can tell you about a lot of stories about Sue and I, but one of our stories, one of, one of the times is, is, I mean, I've got multiple car trades that didn't go the way they should, or, you know, that weren't, weren't smart. 
Okay? And, and they were always Sue's fault. She's not up here, so I'm just going to blame her. No, they weren't always Sue's fault. One time I convinced her to size down. We had a 2000, uh, uh, we had a, a, a Ford Excursion, the great big, you know, big ones. We had that sucker paid for, but the gas was going up. This is when the gas prices really first started going up. Well, that thing had a V10 in it. I mean, it got like nine miles to the gallon. But it was almost paid for. I mean, it, I think it may have been paid for. And it was still, you know, it only had under 100,000 miles. I mean, it was, it was in good. But I convinced my wife that we needed to size down to a Dodge Durango. Now, she did it dragging her feet, and we traded. Three days later, I, I, I mean, I, we realized this was a mistake. We couldn't get all four kids, their backpacks, and anything else in that, in that thing. Now, you know, don't hate on me for having an excursion, you, you people that want to, you know, keep not burn gas and all that stuff. Hey, listen, I, I mean, it, it was, it was nece necessity at the time. We were rodeoing, pulling a bumper horse trailer behind that thing, and we'd go to rodeos and stuff. And, and, but I traded down, and we were going to trade pickups, trade trailers. We were going to do all this trading and, and all these things, and I, we should have stayed. Well, she started trying to, you know, blame me, and then I blamed her. And then, and then to make matters worse, she decided we was going to buy and find another excursion, and we were going to sell that Dodge Durango. Oh, we had two car payments for a long time. We like to never got rid of that Durango. Bah, I hate those things. I would never have one. Now it's probably a great vehicle, actually. But bad, bad choice. Well, listen, she blamed me, then I blame her because her and my mom would decide that they're going to go buy a, another excursion. And it wasn't paid for. And I mean, so here's, here's my point of that funny story. How many times do, can we point the blame to someone else? You know what we chose to do after that? And, and we have had many opportunities to prove this right. We chose that we were not going to walk in blame. Because we were making decisions together. And even when one of us pushed for what was right, we decided that we weren't going to hold those accusations against one another. Because what do those, those words of blame do? All they do is cause strife, cause division, cause us to be separated. As a, as a couple, choose to deal with problems without assigning blame. There are so many negative emotions associated with being on the receiving end of blame. Along with that will come resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness. They all cause a, a negative reaction. The other thing, the other words that are that are sink our ship in the midst of a storm is excuses. We don't have to. We need to be willing to own up. I was reading my notes. Owning our mistakes helps us see the problem and then come up with a solution to correct it. Excuses limit the chance we have of fixing the problem and thus we'll make that mistake again and again. Owning the, owning the mistake is different than owning the problem though and I'm going to close with this thought. Owning the mistake, in other words not making excuses, is different than owning the problem. And I'll use a, an example. You say, well that's just the way I am. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just, I just tell the truth. So that means you have the right then to just be mean. I know that doesn't fit anybody in here, but huh, it probably does. Ouch! You know what they say about a, a pack of dogs? 
The one that yelps is the one that hit, got hit. When you throw a shoe into a pack of dogs, the one that gets uh, hits the one that yelps. So don't yelp. No, that, you know, I mean, we've all been guilty of that. We, we begin to uh, make an excuse. We begin to, to, to not own up, but make sure that we, that we don't also make an excuse for just the way we are. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm just, I'm just that way. Boy, the wonderful thing is God can begin to change. God can shape us. God can change us. It's just the way I am. I just, I just speak the truth. Well, how, how can we grow out of that? Okay, i got to read one more scripture. Isaiah 50, because i gotta, I got to qualify what I'm saying here. Because I can't tell you to not do it and not give you a way to fix it, right? Isaiah 50, verse 4. You're going to love this. You're going to be glad I turned here. Because it's tough sometimes to hear the Word. But it's also hopeful and helpful. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. See, if I use words wrongly, if I foul up when I, when I, when I teach or when I speak, realizing a problem but not owning it means I need, to, I need to be responsible for changing it. So, Sovereign Lord, give me a well-instructed tongue. So this is a prayer. This became my prayer a long time ago. Lord... Give me a, a, the tongue of the learned. That's what the King James says. Give me a well-instructed tongue. What would a well-instructed tongue be? One that even when they're speaking truth, speaks truth in love. Speaks truth with tact. Speaks truth that's helpful, not harmful. Only says what needs to be said. There's times you just don't need to talk. I mean, there's just, I mean, I know my wife would be kicking me under the table. There's times when you don't need to say anything. I had to learn this. I probably still fail in this. But we walk through this. To know the word, to know the word that sustains the weary. See, I want to speak a word in season, the King James says, to him who's weary. Speak a word of enlightenment. See, sometimes our, our ship is sunk simply because we say the wrong things. Now, there's a lot of other ways that, that words can be applied. But notice what he said, Wake me morning by morning. He wakes me morning by morning, and he wakes my ear to listen like one being instructed. You ever have those people that are hungry to learn, desire to learn, and then you got those ones that don't want to listen? You ever been the one who doesn't want to listen, doesn't want to change? See, we, we're going before God again with our heart. We're saying, God, help me to wa be wakened each morning with an ear to hear. See, here's the thing I know about God. If, we, if He says we can and we set our heart to desire it, He'll begin to change that in us. He can begin to shape, mold, and give us the ability to hear what God's saying. God, how do I talk to this kid? How do I talk to my spouse? How do I talk to these employees? How do I talk to my boss? How do I talk to the people around me? 
Lord, what do I do? Give me a word in season to him who's weary. Give me a word that sustains the weary. Lord, help me to be a word, a person who encourages and strengthens, brings light into the room, not, not other things. Lord, help me. Verse 5, the sovereign Lord will open my ears. Lord, open my ears. Man, what a prayer. I have not been, or I have not been rebellious and I have not turned away. That's a dedication. I'm not going to do that. You just make that decision. I'm not going to reject it. There's, there's a bunch more. I've got to get out of that or I'll keep teaching. There's a bunch more in that. that Isaiah 50 is awesome. So I challenge you, don't allow your ship to sink because you have a hard heart, because you're not fixed on Jesus, or because you let loose lips sink the ship. Man, let, the, let God shape your words. You know, there's a lot of ways we can teach that about words. I may go into that a little bit more. Not picking on our talking to each other, but the doubt and the unbelief and the other fearful things that we can do and say with our words. Words are powerful. Let's, let's get ready to close and, and or let's begin to close. And, and uh, people ask me if, with this new time, if I was going to preach till noon, some of you thought I was, but I fooled you. But I believe this. I'm, I'm, I believe that God's given us a word that can help us to, to, to walk forward in life, to be strengthened, be encouraged. If those that are online were watching, or anybody with the sound of my voice that has not made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, the awesome thing is that Jesus loved you enough, died for you, for your sin, while you were in sin, to give you an opportunity to be a child of God, to be forgiven. All we have to do is receive that free gift. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you today. And Lord, for those that are watching and, and those that are sitting right here, Lord, the one thing that we must do according to your word is not just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to confess him as our Lord and Savior to repent of our sins, to receive the free gift of salvation by repenting of our sins and, and calling upon that name of the Lord and, and saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Make all things new. And from this day forward, I'll follow you. When we pray a prayer, when we pray that prayer, we've made a dedication and a decision to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you and I praise you that for any who call upon you, who pray that prayer, who make that choice, that decision today, that Lord God, I thank you that you become their, their Savior and Lord. The next step of that process is to make contact with other believers, with me or, or another church, that they get hooked into the Word of God and begin to be discipled, begin to be grown in their, in their relationship with you because, Lord God, we thank and praise you that you don't want it to be a one-time event. You want it to be a life that is forever changing. So, Father, I just pray and I ask you to stir upon the hearts of those who need to pray that prayer, make that decision, and that today is the day they do that. And as they do, that, Lord God, they'll make contact with me to let me know so we can encourage them along the way. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I do challenge you if you're watching or if you're here and you pray that prayer, make that decision that you make contact with me. Go to the website, carrierchurch.org, uh, and, and get on the email or just Facebook me or whatever. So uh, we want to 